That 8-Bit Shit Show. Welcome to That 8-Bit Shit Show. I'm Adam, as usual, I'm here with uh, with Tom. How you doing, How's man? Going, buddies? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. We are, it's, it's uh, we've got a beer, as usual. Hell yeah. I've got, the, uh, I've got the ghost ship today, but it feels like a bit of a naughty, because it's only two o'clock. Uh, I mean, it's past 12, so it's fine. It's probably the rest of my day written off now, because... Yeah. What it is, isn't it? Same. Cool. Um, so, yeah, today... Uh, what are we going to talk about? We had a long one, didn't we? This week we've uh, we, we've delved into the world of Faxanadu. What a game! What a name to start with. Yeah, give us a reminder, man. What was it all about? So, um, what I'd like to do is open with the um, the description. Uh, just tell you a little bit about what the devs wanted to, us to know when going into this. So you're the elves last hope. Um, outside the time walls look monsters with the power to destroy anything in their path. Inside the walls, water and time are running out. Soon the ancient elf town of Aeolus will vanish into eternity. Now I'll leave it there, but that gives you an insight into what's going on on this one. Um, so I guess we should jump straight in and talk about um, a little bit about what this game is and what it's about, what the story is. Yeah, well, it's, I guess I don't know if you can count this as a hidden gem because whereas I didn't, um, I wasn't aware of this game growing up, but as a as a retro game enthusiast, it's been on my radar for quite some time. So I think if you're if you're into the retro gaming scene, you probably know about this. It's, it gets some uh, some cred as a hidden gem, but probably enough that it's not that hidden anymore. But yes, yeah, it's effectively a two D side scrolling action adventure game with RPG elements set in a dark fantasy world. That would be my. <laughs> my one-liner it's um very reminiscent of uh castlevania 2 um a little bit of zelda 2 in there it's uh it's, it's really really cool but just to give you a bit of background on it this was um developed and published by hudson soft so bomberman adventure island bloody war uh the first mario party actually by, by hudson soft and huh. um nintendo published it in north america uh and it was the pal versions were distributed by mattel actually the toy company well, yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so released um, Japan, November 1987, North America, August 1989, and in the EU, December 1990. So we've got three years after Japan. Um, and then it was re-released on the Virtual Console 2010, 2011. This hasn't yet made an appearance on the Switch Classics, which would be a, a really cool place to play this, actually, on a portable system like that. Um. Yeah, critical reception was high. So Famitsu Magazine, which is obviously with a lot of the Japanese-developed games, is like the benchmark, gave it a 39 out of 40, and they're, they're famously stiff on their reviews. Um, and IGM reviewed it when it came out on the Wii Virtual Console, gave it an 8.5, and they called it a hidden gem. <laughs> so it definitely is a hidden gem. Yeah, so when this came out, it was um, heavily featured in Nintendo Power because it was published by Nintendo, so they kind of got to decide what publicity their games got in magazines by writing their own magazine. And it had a dedicated episode of Captain N, the Game Master. <laughs> so it was it was pushed a lot by Nintendo, but I guess it was, you know, a late-ish release, especially in, in Europe for the NES. It may have caused it to not get so much, uh, so much traction. But what did you know about this going into it? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about this game before starting it i had the name and that's all i went in with um was... and that's kind of the point of this show isn't it this is a lot of i'm a bit nerdy when it comes to retro games so i'm going to be dropping a lot of things that i think you may not know yeah 
yeah, on, exactly. on the premise of hopefully giving you a good experience to try these these classics out. Well, that's the thing with this. It's like it's so good for picking up stuff that I've missed over the years. Where you know, because I played a lot of games back in the day, but you know, there's there's so many out there that I just wouldn't have had a chance to play. Um, be it because of you know. Not yeah, I mean, you take just just the, just the NES North American releases was over seven hundred titles. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a lot of games. Exactly. So this one, yeah, I, I started playing it, and um, <laughs> my partner walked into the room actually, and she said, uh, "Oh shit, is that Faxanadu?" <laughs> so I was like, uh, "Yeah, it is. How the hell do you know about it?" So apparently, she played it when she was a kid as well. So that was quite cool. Yeah, so it was definitely about. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I think us being over in the UK, the the NES wasn't as big here as it was in the States. There was a lot more people playing PC games here. So I think that uh, it's even smaller for us over here. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so it's actually um, a spin-off game, a side story of uh, a vast RPG series called Xanadu. Ah, uh, okay. Um, okay. So it's only there was only three or four of this this series ever released in, a, in the West. But the second is that... Uh, yes, yeah, the second installment of Dragon Slayer. The Xanadu is the second installment of Dragon Slayer, developed by Falcom, um, and the Fact Xanadu is a spin-off to that. So uh, that and Dragon Slayer are sort of cousins. Um, this is the only one not developed by Falcom, um, and the title actually is a combination of the word Famicom, which is obviously the Japanese name for the NES, and Xanadu. So we're all pronouncing it wrong. It should be pronounced Fazanadu. Ah, uh, okay. It's a bit like uh, Dorito. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or jalapenos. <laughs> exactly. Um, but in Nintendo's uh, videos they made about this, they referred to it as Faxanadu, so I'm sticking with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess I think that leads us quite nicely into sort of what I thought the story was actually about or what the what the story sort of sets you up with. Um, yeah, go on, give, give us your thought of, of of the story and how you arrive as this unidentified warrior. Yeah, so you, you come in, you're a returning wanderer. Um, you're coming back from the wilderness to your home, which is the elven town of Alos. Ilos? I'll go with I have you. no idea. Um, but you basically learn that the town's been decimated by some unknown force. Um, you later find out that that unknown force is dwarves that have risen up from the underworld. Now, based on everything I saw in this game... Um, I don't remember seeing any dwarfs. Any things? Yeah, I they saw? have a loose. They, they. I think this, this may be a translation issue. I think so. I think they mean demons, maybe. Well, the um, yeah, there's certainly some kind of demonic force happening. So yeah. Anyway, so um, that's what they tell you is happening. Anyway, so they've risen up from the underworld and decimated the world as you know it. Um, you're told by one of the remaining villagers in Ilos that. The water has been poisoned. You must go and speak to the king of the elves immediately. And he basically sets you on this journey to go and rescue the kingdom. Um, so that's what I learned from the very start of the game. And that sort of sets you up for your story. Yeah, so it it turns out that a meteorite has crashed. Um, and that's what... It's poisoning the existing water. And then I believe the dwarfs have gone a bit mad. They're attacking the elven kingdom and... Obviously, their kingdom's overrun with naughty dwarves now, and uh, and then they've poisoned the, the the remaining wells that provide water to the the elven kingdom. What I thought was really cool about this is that when you most of these RPG style fantasy RPGs, the towns were always like a safe haven. 
But actually, this you go in there and it looks really kind of deserted and run down, and you've even yeah. got enemies wandering around in the in the village. Yeah. So it it just shows that it's really kind of gone to shit. Um. But the background of this is that uh, the elves and dwarves did live in harmony amongst something called the World Tree. So when you actually approach, you see the elven settlement at the bottom, this giant tree that stands adjacent to a cliff, and then the dwarven fortress on the top of the cliff. And your kind of mission is to travel from the elven city up the tree and into the uh, the dwarven fortress and defeat the the main boss there. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I didn't really pick up from it from reading, but I've read for, since researching, is that the dwarf king swallowed his magic sword before he was transformed. <laughs> Um, hiding it in his own body to prevent the evil one from acquiring it. Um, and this sword is the only weapon that can kill the evil one. Yeah. Um, and some of the weapons in the game, actually, um, there's some really cool stuff in there that you pick up throughout. Um, so your character is sort of... Uh, the RPG element's very good, isn't it? So you've got various power-ups that you pick up throughout the game. You've got things like an ointment which can make you invincible elixir which revives if you die um you find a glove which increases your power wing boots which make you fly so there's a lot of things which you can pick up which really add to the rpg elements of the game and i really like that yeah you've got that action rpg side of it and then you've also got the leveling side which i guess we'll come on to when we talk about gameplay but yeah 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 but they're, they're completely standalone those two those two elements what, what i wanted to ask you is what what did you think about the atmosphere that they managed to create with this 8-bit system I mean, I thought it was fantastically done. Everything's bleak. Everything's very foreboding in this game. So you've got lots of browns, lots of uh, dark, bleak colours, which really gives you a sense of dread, I think. Um, yeah, it's very fleshy looking in places as well. It's <laughs> damp and like mouldy kind of. Lots of purples. If you look at the um, actual colour spectrum that the NES could use, there was very few browns, only a couple available. So the fact that you you remember this as being very brown, just shows how well the palette complements itself to give this dank kind of mouldy feeling. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. It's a little bit, and I know it's cliche to compare everything to this, but it's got that very Dark Souls aesthetic to it. Yeah, it really has. Of, um, these these manky caverns. Uh, lots of sepia tones. And what I also liked is the, the skies. When you're in the towns, the skies are just black, but then in the open world, they're never bright. They're always like a dark pastel shade or... Or like a dark blue. It just gives a very dull aesthetic to everything. It just gives that whole feeling of this is not safe, um, and that's I think it, it really helps with the uh, the feel of the game. Um, and on that sense, on that side of it as well, the the music they've added to each um, each area, it sort of um, it adds to that tension as well. Yeah, I find some of it specifically the second area of the game, which we'll talk about the areas in a bit more detail. But the music gets a bit repetitive. Yeah, it does. Um, but it's it's got some catchy tunes, and it's it's up there with some of the better stuff I think on the uh, on the NES. It's not it's not as good as some of your Castlevania, and and definitely not as good as some of the Nintendo first party stuff. But it's but what it does, it shies away from that super happy fantasy setting feeling. Yeah, massively. I mean, this isn't Zelda. Don't ever go into it thinking that's the kind of thing <laughs> you're getting. It's a far so, um, cry from Zelda, isn't it? This game. Yeah, I think the um, the atmosphere went a really long way to helping to tell the story. Yeah, I think um, you get a, a sense from the outset that this isn't going to be a walk in the park. Um, 
you know, the, the whole setting gives you that feeling of Christ. Okay, this is going to be a challenge, and and it really is. Yeah. So, I mean, that moves us just on to to talking about the gameplay. And as I said before, it is sort of reminiscent of Zelda 2 or Castlevania 2. Um, you've got page native scrolling between screens uh, and you're going to go from village to village and return to villages to, to heal up and buy items that are going to help you get a little bit further each time. Um, so as we touched into before, there's, there's a couple of main elements in this. There's the item upgrades. So you go out and if you kill enemies, they're, they're going to drop one of two things. They're going to drop golds. <laughs> With an S. Yes, specifically not gold. It's golds. <laughs> um, or they're going to drop healing items. Uh, and there's going to be a bit of grinding. Like you're going to see, oh, I need this magic shield. So I'm going to go out from here, um, kill enemies, grind up a bit, come back and purchase the items I need to continue. Now, unfortunately, when you return to the villages, you don't auto heal. You've got to pay for that privilege and every settlement you visit further into the game these become more expensive don't they yeah you you find you're you're going to be spending a lot in the hospitals but there's a um there's a little shop there that sells meat which is actually a lot yeah if you if you're not interested in regenerating your magic yeah yeah um so you've got to you yeah talking on that you've got a magic bar and a health bar so obviously the health bar you as you upgrade your armor and shields there's no active block button but your shields reduce your damage by a percentage, as does the armor. Um, and then you have a, a melee weapon you can attack with, and then you'll get five or six different types of projectile magic. One of them being death, which I, uh, which yeah, I quite like. Straight up. <laughs> straight up, I'm firing death at you, and, <laughs> and that's that. Um, but I think at first glance, the gameplay can seem sort of quite simple, can't it? Um, but I found, actually, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, Right, run up to him, slash, slash, run away. You, you've got to approach each uh, encounter with a little bit more than just, right, I'm going to hit him about four times and then run away. Yeah, yeah, so because of the... the, You sort of set your own mini quests here. I need to go off and get this item to go and unlock this or whatever. And because of that, you're going to be plotting your fastest route through each area. Mm-hmm. And you're going to learn each dungeon, and eventually it's not about killing everything. It's about taking minimal impact and uh, gearing yourself up to go out on these little micro-quests. So thinking, you know, I need two keys, I need four potions, and this weapon set because I'm going to try and travel up here and beat this boss to get such and such item. Now, that's a little frustrating at points when you don't know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, But we'll get onto that again in a minute when we talk about the... Uh, the item usage. The other thing I wanted to mention, Ad, was the RPG elements um, in terms of leveling. Yeah, so um, you essentially are assigned, uh, so you get a certain amount of points per kill, um, and there's a, a running scale at the top of the screen as to what how many points you have. Um, and each time you visit one of the town gurus, um, who are like, <laughs> well... I guess the wizards of the towns or something like that. Um, the elders or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you visit them and they assign you a rank. Um, so I think I got to something like superhero or something like that. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I was hero or veteran or something about halfway through. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's quite cool because then, correct me if I'm wrong, but that leveling system actually makes the game harder as well. So what the leveling system does, it does two things. So if you die at any point, you lose all the current experience and golds that you're carrying. Um, 
if you return to one of the gurus, they will grant you a title based on your experience points. Now, this is um, bookmarked like a leveling system that from one title to the next, you need a exponentially higher amount of experience points. But when you gain those titles, what that means is upon your death, you will respawn with a starting amount of gold and XP. Now, it's not the full amount that you had when you leveled, but it gives you a big head start each time. So it makes each rebirth a little more forgiving. You can, for example, immediately be reborn and buy some magic potions, etc., etc. You don't lose your gear upon death. So it does mean that if you run into a dungeon, grab something, you don't have to fight your way out. Uh, the other thing the gurus do is they um, provide you with passwords. So you you meditate with them and they'll give you passwords to reload your game. Okay, yeah. So I didn't really uh, end up using uh, the codes to save the game at all. Um, I was using save states um, and I found that I was using them quite often as well on this. Yeah, so let's get this out of the gate. This is a difficult game and if you're going to play this currently... I would suggest playing it in some kind of form where you can save on the fly because that's it's it's a tough game to get through and you're going to be spending many, many hours with it just getting frustrated if you can't save on the fly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 100%. I, I think I would have probably put this game down a lot earlier had I not had save states. So, um, so um, that's, that's kind of... So a couple of other little gameplay elements here. So the movement's quite stiff. This isn't Mario, you know, it's not a platformer, it's a, it's a side-scrolling action RPG. The, the thing that annoyed me the most is the knockback from being hit by enemies. Where it knocks you back into the screen you were in before. Well, so every time you get hit, you're knocked back, so you can be knocked off a ledge, you can be knocked off whatever. But being the NES that had absolutely terrible memory, if you, every time you went to a screen, all enemies respawn. Yeah. Um, you can quite often go into a screen, be fighting an enemy and be knocked back into the previous screen for you to then re-enter where you were with respawned enemies on full health. <laughs> Which isn't ideal. Um, but it's also quite a good little uh, hack, if, you'll, if you will, to uh, build up some coin and some uh, gold. Yeah, it's good for grinding. If you find there's quite a lot of places where you'll find an enemy or a boss where if you stand in a certain spot, they just approach you and you can wail on them. And Yeah. And beat them. Actually, the first boss of the game, I've, I've played a couple of attempts on it, and I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? And then I found if I stood on a certain ledge, I could just hit him and not, not get in. Yeah, there's a few throughout the game that are like that as well. So um... Yeah, there's only a couple of bosses that you can't find a cheap tactic yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> which shows a little bit how we played the game. Um... Yeah, but, but you know, that's that's fine. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to talk a little bit about the four areas of the game then? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the the areas that you, you come across in the game, so you've got your, your towns, um, you've got the areas outside the town, you've got the areas leading up to the uh, the dungeons and the dungeons themselves. So well, There's four principal worlds, isn't there? There's yep. the area at the base of the tree around the elven settlement. Yep. Then there's a large, the largest area of the tree where you're inside the trunk. Um, and then you've got the branches of the world tree and then the Dwarven Mountain Stronghold. So I guess we could just go through those areas in order to give our brief thoughts on them. Um, what, do you, what did you think of the first, the first area of the so game? The first area was, um, well, once I got to grips with the game, I found it, uh, it was okay. I got through that 
relatively easily once I'd it's pretty linear isn't it yeah yeah I mean you don't have to go back and forth too much it's basically you go here go get this go here and you're done um so I, I find that one okay how did you get on with that yeah I find so I found the first, some of the first enemies you encounter which like the jumping heads on legs <laughs> yeah um I think I felt they were a little bit hard for a, a first enemy because I hadn't got to grips with the timing of the game. Like every attack you do has uh, several frames kind of wind up. And this is why it reminds me of Castlevania with the whip, because a lot of um, classic games, if you, you hit, the attack is instant. And on this, it's not. So you've got to get that timing down, especially when you have to jump. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I guess once you've learned the patterns of what they're doing, it's fine. But as you say, as a starting area enemy, it was very difficult to, uh, to get that right. Um, um, but it also teaches you there's some enemies that are like uh, shells. They look a bit like the enemies you get in the underworld levels on Mario yeah. 1. Um, and you can't actually kill them with your starting weapon. So you have to jump over them. But then when you unlock magic or a longer sword, you can you can kill them. So it, it does a good job of teaching you that the unlocking things is going to help you in different ways. Definitely, yeah. Um, so that, that first area is pretty, pretty straightforward. So... Um... Once you've gone through that, you move on to, as you say, the uh, the larger area of the game, which took some doing. If I <laughs> if I was being uh, concise about it, um, but yeah, this is also one of the most atmospheric parts of the game, isn't it? It's really dark, and there's like a layer of mist that that sits over the um, the background of the game and the foreground as well. You walk behind this mist and through it, so it creates a good atmosphere. Definitely, yeah, and you encounter a lot of uh, of tough enemies in this area as well. Um, so one of the tougher ones, which shouldn't be that difficult, really, was the bees. Did you? They, they're so annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't seem to have any uh, particular flight path. They just go where they want. Um, well, certainly not one that you can learn um, easily. And I wonder if Hudson Soft put them in there because their logos are bumblebee. Uh, okay, I didn't actually know that, but yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Because they're they're everywhere throughout the game from world two onwards. Yeah, and and as I say, they're they're quite tough. But there's um there's some good parts in this area actually. Um, so there is a lot of back and forth in this part. So you're going up and down this this area. You've got to go maybe out of the town and left, and go down and find one item back through the town and back out the other side to get another. And it's there's a lot of to and fro, and that element really did remind me of of Dark Souls. What frustrates me a little bit is where you would... Um, so people listening are probably thinking, oh, this is like Metroid, um, where you're unlocking this big Metroidvania-style map. But the, the big difference is here is, so you may need a specific key for a door or a mattock to knock down a wall. The problem is, is when you backtrack, you need the item again for every single time you go through it. So every time you want to enter a certain door, you need a new key that you have to buy. And I remember saying to you, ah, where, where do I get this magic shield from? Because they've told me I need a magic shield for the next bit. And you said, oh, it's by the uh, the first town. So I traveled, or just before the first town. So I traveled all the way back down to the first town. And it says, oh, there was a wall that I'd previously knocked down. Oh, fuck. So I need to go back and rebuy the item to knock the wall down. Yeah. So I started traveling back. But then I went to go through a door that I'd come back through. And it says, oh, no, you need the key now to go back through this door. <laughs> and this was the point where I started to think, oh, come on. I'm not going to remember yeah everything about this so it's and you can only carry eight items so otherwise i would have just done some grinding and stocked up on there's there's like four different types of key um i would have stocked up on a few different keys stocked up on a few tools but being only able to carry the eight items 
meant that you had to plan those journeys. And that's what I said before about feeling like you're setting your own little mini quest that, that you want to yeah. do. And the game doesn't really... So it's a positive and a negative. Definitely. I mean, the game doesn't really tell you that you need to do that either at any point. It kind of gives you hints. You speak to the townsfolk and they might say, oh, the next area you're going to need this. But then it doesn't really tell you um, what to stock up on. So I guess I, I used a guide eventually just to make sure I had the right stuff because otherwise I'd been playing this for weeks. Um, but I think trial and error, what you would have got there with it, but it would have been majorly frustrating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over points to this area though, just back to the atmosphere and stuff and the color palette you mentioned before the Browns and like purples and everything. This, this is the area and the music has like no percussion. It's just this melody of like eeriness. Um, and, to, to just bring back this Dark Souls reference one hopefully last time, um, there's an area of that game uh, called Blight Town where you seem to spend a, a horrendous amount of time in the dark underground. And um, when you do finally emerge out of there after you know what feels like dozens of hours and some really challenging sections, it's almost like a relief just to see the sky again that's kind of how this felt when you moved into the third area yeah. Yeah. Of, of the world tree. It just feels that a little bit safer. Now it's not, but it's uh, it was a nice, a nice relief to get out. Of it. Yeah. It's amazing. And this is, this is just a, to be straight up now. This is as far as I got is the start of this area more for a time point of view. So I then watched the, the remaining, the last two areas, which are actually quite short areas, probably take you an hour if you knew what you were doing to get through. But I watched a playthrough of these on YouTube before the show. Yeah, I uh, I did the same. Well, I got th- most of the way through the tree into the town, but then I, I messed up and I missed an item and I was like, ah, fuck it, I can't be asked to backtrack again. But um, yeah, that, that sense of relief when you come out of that mist, it's, it's amazing how they managed to make that so effective, isn't it? You know, It's just a real, um, it's a real uh, compliment to the art style of the game and what the artists were able to do with such a limited color palette. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the the third area, then this is obviously like it's a it's it's quite fleshy. I find in the color palette, lots of pinks and greens, and and um and there was a lot of verticality to it. Yes, yeah, so you spend a lot of time. It, it looks like you, climbing on this. Yeah. And I, I think that's obviously in with the the feeling of this being in the tree branches. Um, and there's a couple of bits where it does say to you, oh, we, you find a town and they say, oh, we're, we're, we're on the border now. So it starts to hint at those endgame areas. And you start to also find uh, stronger items. Some of, the, some of the strongest items in the game are called the Dragon Slayer items, which is obviously a reference to the Dragon Slayer series. Um, and I found that, that at this point, it starts to almost feel like the it could be much further to the end of the game than it really ended up being. Yeah, because you're picking up some stuff which you think, right, I'm going to be on for a, a, a slog here. But, um, yeah, watching it through, it's like, oh, actually, it's probably about, as you say, about an hour to go um, where you're really overpowered and killing stuff with one hit. Um, and, then, yeah, and then you get into the Dwarven Fortress, which is... Uh, now, obviously, I've got a little less to say on these areas because I didn't play through them. But there's a lot of enemies within the settlements here, so it really gives that idea that the place is overrun, and it does feel like an end game because you got that uh, you're you're really in like a, a lot of robust indoor areas with lots of stone and metal and 
and uh, this it becomes a very blue gray sort of tone to the well, design. It looks very dwarven, doesn't it? If you think about dwarven architecture throughout gaming, it looks very much in yeah. keeping with that. Um, but then essentially, your your aim here is just to battle through the dungeons until you reach a final boss, um, kill him, and then the game suddenly ends. <laughs> and the final boss sucks. Yeah, you can you can almost cheese it a little uh, from what I saw. Um, well, so everyone says about every review I've read of this game, so the final boss is way too easy. And looking at it, it looked it's just a scaled up version of an enemy that begins appearing in World yeah. Two. Um, and you just essentially jump and hit his head five or six times with a sword. Uh, if you go in stocked up with potions, I think you're going to kill it first. Yeah, time. easy. That's what happened on the playthrough I watched. Um, a few potions. Hits the head, three death spells, and he was done. Um, so yeah, a little bit of an anti-climax there for all the hours you've put in. Yeah, and the game then just suddenly seems to end, and the king says, thank you very much. Uh, I know you're back off on another journey, so presumably off for some more Japanese RPGs. <laughs> Do you know the final word and, um, was spoken to you by the king? I find this very funny. <laughs> As you go off into the distance, he says, what a restless guy. <laughs> <laughs> so i found that pretty good there's there's some great quotes in this game um yeah so the game kind of just seems to suddenly end and it does feel a little towards the end like maybe there was going to be a little bit more to it and they were under time pressures or or you know didn't have enough time to to finish exactly what they wanted but um so yeah the the, the other thing i just wanted to to pull out on the the overall um, aesthetic of the game ad was the HR Geiger vibes I got from a lot of the enemies. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of enemies which are um, very, they're kind of they're kind of similar in their design, aren't they? They're, they're very big heads and eyes, and they're you know the the features are all accentuated um, quite heavily on some of the monsters, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of almost biomechanical looking weirdness going on yeah as well. there's one that looks a little bit like the um the enemy from war of the worlds the the sort of the big mech walkers um yeah which is actually what the final boss is isn't yeah. it yeah it's a scaled up version of that yeah. enemy um but not scaled up enough that you can't just jump and hit the head yeah i mean i came across yeah, I... a lot of variances in enemies in this game which was quite good i was quite surprised at how many different types there were um so there's things like zombies dragons snakes um, sort of your more standard warriors. Um, there's a squid-like creature that looked a little bit like a penis with tentacles. Did you come across that one? <laughs> no, I, I like a penis with tentacles. <laughs> I thought you might. Well, okay, let's let's go into. Uh, I mean, I guess that that summarizes our thoughts on on the details of the game. What what I think we should do is we're going to give this a rating again, as we always do. So we should maybe just re-summarise what our thoughts were. I've written a few points here. Um, I said that my main annoyance here was having to regain items to unlock things time and time again. I've noted that the characters and visuals are extremely strong. The gameplay is a great mix of uh, close and range combat. There's no active block, which is a shame. It's all passive blocking. Um, the equipment upgrades have great variety. I think the difficulty is a little uneven through the game. I think all the bosses can be cheesed pretty much. There's some unfair enemy placements I noticed where you you can't enter an area without taking a hit or two, such as enemies at the top of ladders or whatnot. Um, being knocked back by enemies is a bit of a bitch. Uh, I thought the RPG elements were pretty unique. 
and the attack patterns were hard to learn early on. So that was my basic summary of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd echo that, to be honest. That's exactly how my experience went as well. Um, just a, a very... Certain areas of the game just seemed, um, as you say, just uneven in terms of, um, of how how unbalanced they were in terms of the, the difficulty. And yeah, I think I think I just echo what you said, man. I, what what would your your score be? Um, so yeah, I think on balance, I think I'd probably give Faxandu an eight out of ten. Personally, what you, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I thought of an eight, but I've actually knocked mine down to a seven. Okay. Um, because some of those uh, grievances I have with the game are actually fairly major in terms of the effect on the experience. Yeah, I think the the item thing that you mentioned is, had I not had a walkthrough, that would have been a right bitch. So, yeah, so I, I landed on a seven out of ten, which is a good score. It is. A, it's a solid score, man. It's a solid game. It is. It's, it's definitely, definitely worth your time. Um, so that that wraps us up for Faxanadu. We're obviously going to introduce in a minute the next game. Yeah, uh, I had a lot of fun with this game, though, man. I'm uh, I'm pleased that you picked it out of a, uh, a large list of games that we've got to get through. Yeah, several thousand. <laughs> so now, obviously, as you've managed to find this show at HappyHourGaming.net, um, that's where you're going to be able to find the next one, which we're going to introduce in a moment. Uh, but also tweet at us at HappyGamingHour because what we want to do is. The reason we're going to start introducing the next game each week is we want you guys to play along with us and send us in your thoughts and comments, and we can discuss what you guys think of the games as well, um, and maybe some suggestions for things we can play down the line. So uh, the next game, I'm keen to know if you're aware of this, because this is a far better known game than what we've been playing, but we're going to visit the Mega Drive Stroke Genesis classic, Altered Beast. Altered Beast. I I am aware of this game, and I absolutely love it. So... uh... Okay, do you want the the back of the box description? Enter a time where men were warriors and gods ruled the world. A time of good against evil, a place of danger. Summoned by Zeus to rescue Athena, you will infiltrate the underworld with the power to transform into mythical creatures with supernatural strength. But there's more. It tells you about every level. Level one, become become a savage werewolf and use your teeth and nails to shred your enemies to pieces. Capture three exclusive spirit balls, and you'll be transformed into a ferocious fire, fire-throwing fire werewolf. Level two and three, take flight as were-dragon and use fiery force to fry the followers of Neff. Come across slippery crevasses, creep across slippery crevasses inside a deep cavern as the crafty werebear. <laughs> And levels five, four, and five stalk the gates of the underworld fortress as a man-eating were-tiger, a predator with no pity. <laughs> Inside the inner sanctum, call on Golden Werewolf's might to demolish Neff, the demon, forever. I mean, it sounds absolutely epic. <laughs> <laughs> and we both know that Altered Beast is not a perfect game. Oh, absolutely, but it's damn fun. So I am really happy with that suggestion. Nice. Yeah, well, I, I figured you would you would be aware of this game, um, and I thought after we, we've had to invest some time in Faxanadu in this last week, and I was looking forward to jumping into something I didn't need a fucking wiki to complete. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This will be a lot less uh, taxing, I think. Um, Which probably means we'll have a shorter episode to discuss on it next week. Potentially, yeah. But um, but um, 
It's, it's going to be a fun one. And I think you might find it's not quite as good as you remembered. <laughs> Maybe I'm looking through <laughs> rose-tinted glasses at this one. I I, I've, I've played Altered Beast recently and it's uh, not the masterpiece it once was. That's a shame. But I'm sure it'll still be fun. Okay. Um, I think that wraps up everything for this episode of uh, That 8-Bit Shit Show. Thanks again, Tom. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show again. No problem. And we'll uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you all.